0: If you are listening to this in what I would say is real-time, then you and I went through the COVID-19 disease, widely considered a deadly pandemic that hit mostly humans across the world. More to the point, though, we did not just go through the pandemic, but mostly we went through the human reaction to the pandemic. If you are listening to this in the future or even a far future, then this is an account of a three-year period starting sometime in mid-2019 and ending sometime in mid-2022. The COVID-19 pandemic, also known as the coronavirus pandemic, caused by what is medically known as Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome or SARS-CoV-2. The novel or new virus was first detected in the city of Wuhan, Hugli province of China. There are two theories on the origin of the virus. One, that it naturally occurred. And two, that it was developed by humans in a lab. There is some sketchy evidence and some general agreement among a fair few scientists that the most likely original Viral reservoir for SARS CoV 2 are horseshoe bats, with the closest known viral relative being what is called RATG13. The evolutionary distance between SARS CoV 2 and RATG13 is estimated to be about 50 odd years. Human contact with bats and other animals has increased as human population centers encroach on back habitats leading to increased opportunities for such spillover. Bats are a significant reservoir species for a diverse range of coronaviruses, and humans have been found with antibodies for them, suggesting that this form of direct infection by bats is commonplace. However, in this scenario, the direct ancestor of SARS-CoV-2 remains undiscovered in a bat. Think about that. In addition to direct spillover, another pathway considered highly likely by scientists is that of transmission through an intermediate host. Specifically, this means that a cross-species transmission occurred before the human outbreak and that it had pathogenic results on the animal. This pathway had the potential to allow for greater adaption to human transmission via animals with more similar protein shapes to humans. Yet, and importantly, this, aka cross-species transmission, this was not required for this pandemic to have occurred. As I said, the direct ancestor for SARS-CoV-2 remains undiscovered in bats, meaning the disease is yet to be found in bats as of August 2022. Though the earliest human case of SARS-CoV-2 was identified in Wuhan, the index case today, as of mid-2022, remains yet unknown. And most importantly, there are relatively few bat coronaviruses from Hubli province in history. And that leads us to the lab leak theory. It's important for you, dear listener, to know that humans do stupid, illogical things, like keep dangerous pathogens, in labs for testing, develop new diseases for testing, and while doing so, ignoring safety protocols and cut corners. Humans also have a distinct tendency to lie, to cover up, and to try to not lose face once everything goes wrong. With that massive, huge caveat out of the way, oh, and by the way, one other caveat, such labs are all over the world. Possibly, one is close to where you live or work. Now, with all these caveats out of of the way, my own view is that COVID-2, the virus that caused this pandemic, originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. More specifically, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It is no coincidence that the institute is in the same city where the virus originated. I do not believe that this was a deliberate release. I don't believe that Wuhan government officials, institute leadership, or even the national government had any idea what was happening. After all, who cares what they do in these labs? Now, I reckon that the leak was a mistake, probably by one or two scientists. Because many of the early infected were workers at the Hunan seafood market, it was originally suggested that the virus might have originated from bats or pangolins sold at the market. It was only later found that no bats or pangolins were sold at the market. You see, bats are not commonly eaten in central China. Remember, the Wuhan Institute of Virology and also, by the way, the Wuhan Center for Disease Control are located within miles of the focal point of the pandemic, that being the Wuhan-Hunan Seafood Wholesale Market. Indeed, the Wuhan Institute of Virology had been conducting research on SARS-like bat coronaviruses since 2005 and was involved in 2015 experiments some experts have characterized as gain-of-function. Gain-of-function research is medical research that genetically alters an organism in a way that may enhance the biological functions of gene products. This research is intended to reveal targets to better predict emerging infectious diseases and to develop vaccines therapeutics. All noble stuff, I suppose. As of early 2017, some scientists expressed concerns about the risk of pathogens escaping from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, along with the fact that the lab is in Wuhan, the city where the pandemic broke, and the fact that the research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was being conducted under the less stringent biodiversity level, i.e., BSL two and BSL three, leads me to believe that this was a disease that mistakenly escaped from a lab. I'll take it even further. I reckon the disease started in mid 2019 with only an announcement or acknowledgement in November 2019. I reckon that the Hunan seafood market may have only served as a jumping-off point for a virus that was already circulating in Wuhan, facilitating rapid expansion of the outbreak. I'd like to point out that the Chinese government has promoted or entertained a counter-theory claiming that COVID originated in the U.S., Military installation fort at Fort Detrick in the US itself. I don't discount anything. Maybe the US had something to do with this after all, but it seems highly improbable that they would have been involved in this particular virus. So I don't think that the US was involved in the actual development of that actual virus and they certainly weren't involved in the cover-up that happened afterwards. Now, all said, the Wuhan Institute of Virology had U.S. government and French government funding. Interestingly, the French scientists pulled out before the COVID outbreak due to what they said with dicey safety protocols at the institution. To be honest... I don't want to beat up the Wuhan Institute employees. One, because as patient zero, the people with early infections may not have survived the outbreak themselves and also because the lab leaks are more commonplace than you think. The 2007 foot and mouth outbreak in the UK was a lab leak. The SARS virus escaped at least once and probably twice from a high-level biocontainment facility in China. Previous novel disease outbreaks such as AIDS, H1N1, SARS and the Ebola virus have been the subject of conspiracy theories and allegations that the agent was created in or escaped from a lab. I'd argue that it could be highly probable that some of these came mistakenly from labs. Most interesting, though, was that the earliest known infected person fell ill on the 1st of December 2019 that individual did not have a connection with the later Wet market cluster. But what compounded all this yet more was, at least in my view, was how first the Institute chose to ignore and then to deny. You see, ignore, then deny. Ignore, then deny. Because then the city authorities in Wuhan chose to ignore, and then to deny then the provincial government of Hubli Province first ignored and then denied, and then the People's Republic as a nation chose to ignore and then deny, and indeed how most of the world then just about everyone chose first to ignore and then deny well, not deny to the same level as China because. The rest of the world ultimately accepted the virus. They had to. And honestly, you can't blame all these people. Why? Because hindsight is an easy fix. When we were in the middle of this thing, no one knew in those early months what to expect. If a bunch of random doctors show up and say, hey, we are suffering an unknown disease and we need to do something like, you know, lock down a city of about 12 million people, an old historic city that is about 5th century BC old, and a cultural and economic academic center of a city, you'd think they were insane. You'd think they were crazy mad. A lockdown? What on earth was a lockdown? But locking down the whole city? Insane. So early leaders in the city and provincial governments would be skeptical. Anyone would. But what made the pandemic mega viral? In my view, the city, when it held its annual banquet, despite knowing at the tide that something rotten was afoot, that was the mistake. And then the rich and powerful, the who's who of the city started getting ill. Worse, people started dying. And that's when I think the authorities who matter started to pay attention. Remember, this was early in the pandemic, where one doesn't know the virus. No one yet understands it. And importantly, the virus is at this point in its evolution in its most violent form. Once the central government in Beijing got wind of the magnitude of the unknown problem on their hands, they acted quickly in a model that was taken from the World Health Organization Pandemic Playbook. That being pretty much COVID-0. A public notice on the outbreak was distributed on 31st of December 2019. On the 8th of January 2020, a new coronavirus was announced by the Chinese scientists as the cause of the new disease. The virus was sequenced and its genome uploaded online. On the 11th of January 2020, the WHO was notified by the Chinese National Health Commission that the outbreak was associated with exposures in the market and that China had identified a new type of coronavirus, which it isolated on the 7th of January. On the 23rd of January 2020, the Chinese government banned travel to and from Wuhan, enforced strict quarantine in effect in the whole region, and initiated a massive national response. If the Chinese data is to be believed, um, the epidemic in Hubli province peaked on the 4th of February 2020. Amazing large temporary hospitals were built in Wuhan to isolate patients with mild to moderate symptoms, with the first opening on the 5th of Feb 2020. I actually remember watching these online and thinking, wow, they can actually do that. At this point in the epidemic, it was heavily concentrated within Hubli province and in Wuhan. By the 22nd of March 2020, over 80% of the recorded cases in China were in Hubei province with over 6% of cases nationwide occurring in Wuhan alone. Me and everyone else in the world watched as Hubli and Wuhan went into a lockdown, the rest of the world feeling smug and safe in the knowledge that only Chinese or authoritarian regimes could pull something like this off. To be honest, I had never seen anything like this ever before, and I had never read about anything like this in history. But little did I know at the time. By the summer of 2020, China had largely brought that big first outbreak under control. It ended widespread community transmission. After the initial outbreak, lockdowns and other restrictive measures were eased throughout China. The lockdown in Wuhan itself was lifted on the 8th of April 2020. COVID-0 looked to be working. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Time would tell. I remember thinking, well, wow, these guys knocked down a whole city. Wow, a province. Wow, a country of a billion plus people and built entire hospitals in a few days. Amazing. Not once did I think for a second that the thing they had over in Wuhan, thousands of miles away, would hit every nook and cranny of the planet. Unlike any other prior crises before, for this one, everyone, everyone, even in random corners of the planet, All of us who went through this had a similar-ish experience. Interestingly, the renowned academic institution IIT Delhi in India's capital had started work on understanding the novel virus. As early as January 2020, IIT Delhi researchers knew and reported accurately that the disease was not natural and that it likely came from a lab these findings were dismissed by the U.S. and China as outlandish. That was the word used by U.S. Chief Virologist Anthony Fauci. The report and findings were hardly reported by mainstream media outlets, while governments across the world were too focused on seeing what by this point was happening in Japan and South Korea. Pockets of an outbreak occurred in a religious cult in South Korea, followed by community spread. Then there was the case of the cruise liner that was stuck off the coast of Japan with tons of people on board in miserable conditions. Eventually, those people were let out and are allowed to fly back in special chartered flights back to their home countries for further treatment and further quarantine. Little did we all know. At the time that this pandemic was and had been rife all over the world already by then, on the thirtieth of Jan, seven thousand eight hundred and eighteen infections had been confirmed, leading the WHO to declare the outbreak a public health emergency of international concern on the eleventh of March twenty nineteen the WHO elevated it to a pandemic this monumental bureaucratic technical decision was, for the most part, for most of us, the start of the pandemic. So no, it was not overcrowded hospitals, not even people dropping dead on the street, but this announcement. On getting the news and still living in an uncertain medical environment, the government of many countries freaked out and started imposing emergency regulations, telling non-essential workers, To use modern technology and work remotely. This would reduce, in theory, people to people community transmissions while keeping essential workers at work. Essential workers meaning rubbish collectors, shopkeepers, delivery folks, and of course medics and emergency workers. As early as the end of january twenty twenty, Italy started seeing big outbreaks around Milan. This then hit Spain. Both went into lockdown just like China. The rest of us just watched this like it was some kind of reality television show, not realizing that our own government was also cooking up a similar policy tailored just for us. Sure enough, much of the world went into some kind of frenzied lockdown. Even children were sent home from school, university students forced home, bars shut, restaurants forced to deliver food, and no sit-in eatings. Planes had no passengers, so many were grounded, factory workers sent home, trains empty. As a side effect, pollution cleared up and was totally noticeable in polluted, otherwise polluted cities like Delhi. People were told that it would be two weeks or so to slow the spread, maybe three weeks. And then we were told it was not just about slowing the spread, but stopping the spread. Governments reacted in complete panic as millions of people were sent home. Importantly, and this is important, those benefiting most from working from home were also the government workers who decided to implement and keep lockdowns in place. They also benefit. It was, of course, in their best interest. What were these lockdowns exactly? On the 22nd of January 2020, Lee. Larjun, one of the NHC experts who was sent to Wuhan, flew back to Beijing and advised the quarantine of Wuhan, which was soon adopted. On the early morning of January the 23rd, the government of Wuhan announced a sudden lockdown at 2 o'clock, which said, since 10 a.m. on January the 23rd, the city's buses, metros, ferries, code services, etc. will be suspended. Without a special reason, the citizens should not leave the city. Departure from the airport and railway stations will be temporarily prohibited. Recovery time of these services will be announced at a future date. Thus, Wuhan became a lockdown area of Class A infectious disease, according to the Law on Prevention and Treatment of Infectious Diseases. Researchers estimate that the restrictions reduced the basic reproduction number from 2.35 to 1.05, allowing the epidemic to be manageable for Wuhan. China Railway announced later on the day of the lockdown that departure from railway stations in Wuhan would be stopped in order to assist the epidemic control, but transferring trains at Wokcheng Station, Wuhan Station and Honoku Station would still be allowed. The international airport was suspended. On the morning of Wuhan's lockdown, hashtag literally meaning fleeing Wuhan hit the top of the Weibo topics area. Wuhan's citizens rushed to the railway stations to leave the city before lockdown, leading to long queues and many people later boasting about their success in getting out. Some of them were criticized for their lack of responsibility after they talked about managing to bypass temperature control checks and so on. But this kind of escaping the system was to be seen throughout the world, everywhere. Almost 300,000 people left the city by train before the lockdown, according to China Railway. So much for stopping the spread. And of course, this repeated itself to a T in Italy and elsewhere. Not just the lockdown, but people fleeing cities as soon as they could. A COVID-19 vaccine was a vaccine intended to provide somewhat immunity against severe acute respiratory syndrome, a.k.a. COVID. Vaccine development went into overdrive in China, Cuba, Russia, the UK, Europe, the US, and in India. The winner of this race would be the first out of the gate of the COVID gate, the first to get their economy back, and the first to have a geopolitical advantage. Bragging rights would be the ego booster, and for the vaccine developers, big, huge money. Ultimately, the mRNA technology developed by Pfizer of the U.S. and BioNTech of Germany, as well as Moderna of the U.S. and Johnson & Johnson of the U.S., following funding by the U.S. government's Operation Warp Speed, were the first developed develop the vaccine as early as February 2020. Yes, Moderna was Feb 2020. But in terms of getting it out to the population, well, for that, they waited until December 2020, after a critical U.S. presidential election, in November 2020 AstraZeneca of Sweden and the UK worked on the UK government's funded output from Oxford University that was the first to launch actually in August of 2020 The Gamaleya Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology in Russia developed the Sputnik V vaccine There were other vaccines including heavily used ones developed in India Just as the world realized in March and April 2020 that the protective wear came from China, soon everyone realised vaccines come from India. As of early May 2020, there were over 30 vaccine candidates in development in India, many of which were already in preclinical trials. By the way, while all this was going on, countries were hoarding and preventing exports of vaccines, and even exports of raw materials related to vaccines. The Pune-based Serum Institute of India, SII, was, and as I go to publish this, still is the world's largest vaccine maker. This existing capacity enabled India to be a major participant in the COVAX program to distribute vaccines to developing countries. In Feb 2020, SII had begun animal trials of vaccine candidates. SII announced in April 2020 that it would apply for clinical trials from the Drug Controller General of India in April. SII President Adha Poonwala said that a vaccine could be developed and delivered within a year with a projected efficacy of between 70 and 80%. In August, SII received approvals for Phase 2 and Phase 3 trials of its version of a vaccine that was developed by AstraZeneca. SII also joined GAVI in partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to produce 100 million doses of vaccine for developing countries. The SII planned to manufacture 1.5 and 2.5 billion doses of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine earlier under the trade name Covishield. By its approval in Jan 2021, the company had stockpiled 50 million doses but that fell well short of its own target of 400 million. The government of India ordered 21 million doses to be delivered by February, but the company said no further indication of any further orders were given by the government. The company thus, under current contracts with foreign countries, started to export instead. This would have a deadly outcome for India in the not-too-distant future. By September 2020, Dr. Reddy's, also in India, partnered with the Russian Direct Investment Fund to conduct phase three trials of the Sputnik V vaccines within India and to distribute the vaccine there once approved. Oddly, or maybe not so oddly, vaccine nationalism in 2021, aka hoarding, was just as profound as PPE nationalism in the year prior these experimental vaccines, especially Moderna and Pfizer, the mRNA ones, were a newish technology that was administered not just once, not just twice. Twice meant fully vaccinated, by the way, but multiple times. In many instances, it became socially unacceptable to not have the jab. This was most noticeable in the UK and US, where vaccine hesitancy took on a political angle. That being said, vaccine hesitancy was worldwide. Russia, Brazil, India, Nigeria, everywhere. Countries like Mexico, Brazil, the Congo, and so on took the natural vaccine, aka virus wave one or wave two or wave three or whatever. Ultimately though, everyone, most of us, would by 2022 have taken the natural vaccine. Despite the lab vaccine and its expensive rollouts, 2021 did not see an easing of lockdowns. Indeed, lockdowns and vaccines continued in tandem, leading to supposed Western liberal democracies such as the UK, US, and in particular Canada, Australia, and New Zealand to behave in extremely authoritarian methods of control to still stop the by now mythic spread of the virus for the much wanted zero COVID policy. In my view, By August of 2020, and certainly after the vaccine started getting to be rolled out through 2021, the lockdowns should have vanished. But the mindset of government and people, thanks to scaremongering by the mainstream media and controlled by social media giants, was far too slow to adapt. Just like people were slow to adapt to lockdown early on, they were slow to adapt to opening up. In my view, August 2020, All the world should have gone into endemic mode, but remained in pandemic mode, driven by second and third waves of the deadly COVID death waves. Only human hubris thinks it can control a virus. Only human hubris thinks having border controls stop viruses. Somehow, India, who was swimming in COVID, needs to ban people from the UK who are also swimming in COVID. Somehow, that saves you. Regardless of what the humans did, sure and absolutely, some lives, many lives, were saved. But regardless of what the humans did, what would have happened eventually did happen. By the book. Violet first wave, that being the pandemic. Worse second wave. Milder third and subsequent waves, and that being the endemic by this stage. If you escaped wave one, then wave two got you. If you avoided waves one and two, then three got you. In short, the population at large needed to get infected to end the pandemic and start the endemic. We can call this herd immunity. This has been, i.e., herd immunity, has been the case for seven thousand years of recorded human history, and it was not about to change in early 2020s just because some scientists or politicians said so. Luckily, COVID was not ever as harsh as, say, the plague, the Black Death, at least in percentage terms, though not in numerical terms because of massive human overpopulation since that time. And all these people stuck in deeply populated cities and supply chains. But death, disease and medicine were not the only thing to worry about. So was the economy. If in doubt, rich paid out. That's what we learned. Rich countries decided to flick a switch and turn on the taps. Money was printed like an endless fountain. The US alone printed or really created digits out of thin air. People were told to go home and receive pay from the government. Small businesses were given money to stay shut and even were given money to pay their employees. Everyone was given something. Some countries had mortgage relief programs. Whatever it took to keep non-essential workers home. In mostly filthy rich countries like the EU, up to half of workers were at home doing nothing or working from home. As a result of the cash alongside low as hell interest rates created a society with money and little to show for it. Netflix viewership, Zoom calls, and Amazon deliveries were up. Commutes, city sandwich bars, and hotels, restaurants were down. People had money. They spent it. And when they didn't, they threw it into the stock market and cryptocurrencies. 7,000 years of human history tells you that when you do this, you create what is known as inflation. Anyway, that would be a problem for another day. In the moment, many people had a lot of what can be described as free money, certainly in the rich countries. Other countries did not have a policy of lockdowns, so the economy did not get lost. Mexico being a good example. Others, like Brazil, did not have a federal policy of lockdowns, but instead let the states deal with it in their own way. Iran locked down but still recorded death totals that exceeded what would be considered. Average for them. India locked down without the financial policies in the first wave that devastated the poor but saved the rich. And then in the second wave, had no lockdown that saved the poor and devastated the rich. You can't escape a virus, humans. You have to get infected. So they did, the humans, that is, get infected, en masse, that is. As the economies of the world and even economics of the world went upside down, and people in some countries were so paranoid that they would not let anyone in route, like Australia, China, the US, and so on, India, New Zealand, I can, but I won't name them all. Paranoia. With the strict belief that a country swimming in COVID, like Canada, can and should close the border with the US who has also swimming in COVID, somehow that saves people, somehow wearing three masks when you're all by yourself in your own car Saves you. Governments and their media were fueling a system wide mass fear psychosis. But there was serious resistance against strict lockdowns, especially among citizens of countries who have been fed a diet of freedom and democracy. When push came to shove, those freedom loving countries like the US, Canada, the UK, the EU, Australia, and New Zealand all went authoritarian, and people in the majority obediently followed. I'll admit, I could not believe it. At a certain time in the day, people in the UK and India, for example, would go outside their homes and show support for the health workers or the NHS. In the US, they would wear masks everywhere. In Australia, they would tell on cops if someone was not wearing their mask all the time, even when alone in their own gardens. So resistance early on was futile, but the resistance got bigger. It was heartening to see big protests in Paris, Rome, London, etc. But the best of all were the Canadian truckers whose protest in Ottawa made headlines. Here was a real protest. What did the Canadian regime do to the truckers? They froze the bank accounts of the protesting truckers and they started leaking names the media of people donating. So-called US big tech who would love to recruit from rich fancy Ivy League universities stopped taking donations for the truckers' protests. Social media platforms changed algorithms so their stories were no longer prominent. It was the moment of truth. When push came to shove, freedom was in the hands of the Contarians. When authorities come to knocking, the freedom-loving democracy-kissing crowd happily went authoritarian. The same lot who would go to war against, say, Russia or China for being authoritarian themselves had authoritarian tendencies in themselves. So that was lesson number one, I guess, that the government is authoritarian, the economy is doctored, and anything against the government narrative is evil and needs to be banned. This will happen again. You, like me, needs to be the one asking questions and being the contrarian, especially if you live in a country that tells you you are free. If you are in North Korea, okay, there, you have a different narrative. No one is drilling into your brain that you are free. So, that was lesson number one. Lesson number two is those who did it first seem to win. First to lockdown, win. First to vaccine, win. First to open, win. Of course, it didn't work like that in practice because sadly, humans have minds of their own and often do illogical things like stay locked down after offering up the vaccine, like behaving like we are in a pandemic when we have moved from pandemic to endemic. But of course, despite the economy, media, nonsense and fear, COVID was a medical problem. People suffered and died, including people I knew personally. Healthcare and frontline workers suffered and worked hard for the rest of us. I also got covid like millions and like future millions, as this thing won't ever go away. Fever, cough, chills, fatigue lasted five days. It was bad, like feeling unwell always is. But I've had worse regular flus. It's endemic, not pandemic. I can survive it. Most likely, future generations will also survive. Because as we know from history, viruses mutate, get weaker, more infectious and survive. Viruses also have a habit of never really going away. COVID, unlike any other prior event in history, touched most people on the planet, from sleepy villages to congested cities. It had massive social and societal impact as it changed the way millions worked, but it also removed millions of children from society in a critical stage of their life. This will be felt for years to come. Locking people up resulted in increased mental health issues and societal breakdown. In the end, COVID was all about your reaction and the orders of your government than it was a medical health emergency. And with that, I leave you for this episode. Do not forget to like, to comment and follow on your social media or podcast listening platform or choice. Catch you soon. Thank you.